my name's Dave Brisky. Welcome to this segment of Brisky Business. And uh, this is going to be a really cool episode. I've got a great guest again. I've been so fortunate with the guests that have joined our program. You know, thanks again for making us a part of your day. Uh, you can continue to ask your questions. Like we say, this is your program. And you can write me at briskybusiness at entvusa.com. And uh, we'll keep tailoring this program to your interests. Uh, if you missed a segment, you always can go back to the ENTV USA app. And all of the shows are living there on the app. As you know, the program is broken down into four segments, Brisk Business Basics, Brisk's Buy or Bail, Brisk Bulls and Bears, or, and Brisk's Best and Brightest, which is a segment about mentorship. So this is going to be a very, very exciting program. Uh, we have an incredible gentleman with us. He got started in the coffee business, and many of you know coffee is near and dear to my heart. And he actually started as a coffee clerk at the Green Coffee Association, which was supposed to be just a summer job, but apparently it was some type of foreshadowing for his entire career. His goal at the Green Coffee Association as a very, very young man was to kind of make it through the summer and uh, into September uh, so that he can move to Houston and start his real job as a geology intern for Phillips Petroleum. Wearing jeans and exploring the Philippines or Alaska for oil uh, versus sitting there on Wall Street with those stuffy suits. And so that's where he was heading. But in the early 80s, the coffee industry was booming and this man was hooked. And so he started working at Gill and Duffus Group, one of England's largest and oldest commodity trading companies, and was immediately thrown into the trading desk before even knowing uh, what the H stood for in March. Five years later, he joined as a trader wearing a suit and tie one block from Wall Street. And then he joined Ruffus Corporation. And Ruffus, he joined in 1993. And it was the year after that company was founded. And believe it or not, he became CEO of this company in 2008. Uh, it's been quite a journey for this gentleman uh, from making sure at the Green Coffee Association that uh, stamps were in the stamp machine all the way to running the largest green coffee importing company in North America. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome Dan Dwyer, the CEO of Ruthbus Corporation, to Brisky Business. Dan, welcome to the program. Hi, Dave. Great to be here. Ah, it's great to have you. You know, as I said, the first uh, uh, instance of the program is business basics. And I love your story because to me, this is stuff that's not happening in our world enough like it used to. My dad was with the same company he started from his whole life. And my brother, Doug, has been with his company for almost 30 years. And you have a, an incredible story where you started with a company like Rothfuss Corporation in 1993 not your company, but as an employee. And 15 years later, in 2008, you're the CEO of this company and still working there 27 years later. Incredible. I love the loyalty, and I love that we, you could start there. And I'm so curious about your journey, because we have listeners that are wondering, how do you thrive in a job? You started there, and tell us about that climb up the corporate ladder for you. Well, I'll tell you, just to jump back one second, I never wanted to be in coffee in my life. My father worked for Kraft Foods. He was an engineer, and they helped, they helped start Maxim, the instant coffee. 
Yeah, he wanted to take the family, move to Brazil and all that. My mother would have nothing part of it. And I had nothing to do with coffee. And here I am 30 years later in coffee. <laughs> you know, it's the way it goes sometimes. <laughs> it's the way it goes. The way it goes. I really wanted to be in the Philippines and not wear a suit. And then we were wearing a suit 10 years later. Well, there you go. What do you think were the things or tips that you can give folks? I mean, obviously, how did you start? What was your first position at Ruffus? And, and how did you, ex, ex, you know, accelerate to the position of CEO? Tell us about that path yeah. a little bit. All right. Uh, when I started at Ruffus, I was more in sales than in trade. And, okay, you had to be a, you had a lot of personality to be in sales, as you, as you know, Dave. <laughs> but uh, coffee is a real personal business. I mean, in the other commodities, you have gold, you have silver, you have oil. You don't touch the product. You don't taste the product. There's nothing special about it. But coffee is completely different. You go, you just love the product itself. I can remember being at a warehouse for one of my first trips at all the, uh, the Argy guys were there. And every once in a while, they were putting green coffee beans in their mouth. And I said, I was, are they tasting it? What's going on? What, is there something wrong with it? The guy said, no, it's coffee. That's what we do. <laughs> so, but at Roth's Corporation, I started in sales and then slowly gravitated towards the, the trade side. And on the trade side, you had, to, you had to pick an origin. Originally, I was handled the India as an origin. I moved to Indonesia. I, I traded the Brazil book. I traded the Colombian book. And, I, and then later is the Vietnam book. All special, special origins, unique in how they, their dynamics to the market. And each one was fascinating. So, the, you know, your company, the, the story is amazing, right? Because you were there a year after it started. Yes. And uh, I'm sure um, the, uh, those that are listening in would be curious over this 27 years where your market position is now, um, which is a key thing, right, in running a company, knowing where you yep. are in your market. Tell us a little bit about what you've achieved over this time and what kind of market share you guys command. Okay, well, early in the commodity markets, you, you had these funds come in by the market, all technical signals, bells and whistles. What we did at the Neumann Group at Rothfuss Corporations, we looked at supply and demand. If we have too much coffee, simple, market goes down. If we don't have enough coffee, market goes up. If you know your supply and demand, you could, you could find a market space for you, for yourself, and be profitable. And, and that's what we were doing. Invest a lot of money into supply and demand. And w where the market is headed, do we have droughts in Brazil? Do, is is, is Colombia enough water, irrigation, things like that? And what kind of market share do you guys have? So we have a 10% market share, roughly all in North America is about 29 million bags. And we sell 2.9 million bags, which is one out of every 10 cups of coffee that's consumed in this country passes through our office. That is a massive amount of coffee and a massive yeah. operation. <laughs> yeah, yes. So tell us about the split. I know you know your business so well. Right. I'm sure the coffee business has changed over the years. Where is coffee drank? You know, it's interesting because coffee was stagnant for so long. Uh, consumption was up half percent a year, down half percent a year. Now we had Starbucks come in and it was the greatest thing could happen to the whole coffee market. It introduced better quality coffees to the consumer. And that's taken since Starbucks, it's taken it's, it's, it's grown and grown and grown. 
So we used to have about 80% of coffee consumed at home. Now we have about 60, 65%. And that 30, 35% is spent at the Starbucks, the Dunkin' Donuts, the Tim Hortons, the 7-Elevens, all, all having a unique product and all a little bit different. Well, obviously, you were able to drive that growth curve. Um, and I think there was some other there wasn't that many key moments in coffee. I know you and I have discussed this. I would have to say that the advent of the uh, K-Cup was another yes. big moment. That was huge. Uh, it, two reasons. First, the, it was the, a fast way of delivery system for, for coffee because, you know, it's we call American dashboard dining. And that was just perfect. Fast, fast, fast. But it also did another thing. We lost the kitchen sink as a consumer. And we saw that there's a little bit of an oversupply of coffee because coffee delivery system was very efficient. You know, it makes a lot uh, of sense, right? Is that one little tiny cup versus the whole pot that we were dumping right. down the sink? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I always say that it, we lost the kitchen sink as our biggest consumer. <laughs> but right now, it's very interesting. This is the, let's say pre-COVID, the millennials love coffee what do they do they moved away from sugar soda and energy drinks believe it or not and they're moving into the coffee that's their they they get their caffeine boost in cold brew or or a hot drip coffee but the millennials are adapting coffee more than the baby boomers had at the same age you know, I love the millennials for that reason. Obviously, we are in the coffee business and uh, that Gen X business that went straight into those energy drinks, right? The monsters and the, and all of those, uh, the Red Bulls, and which is, you know, not very, very unhealthy, obviously. And, and we were all hearing, and I know you did too, this is the beginning of the demise of the coffee business. And then a, a new generation pops up, the millennials, and they're like, snub their nose to all this energy drink. They're a more healthy group. And all of a sudden, bam, uh, the coffee business is on fire again. And it shifted, right, a little bit. They didn't want to drink their grandmother's coffee, did they? That's it. We went from the, the, the can on the supermarket shelf to the little brick pack and bag that's on top of the shelf of the supermarket. And it, at, the, it, at the stores at all, $4 for a cup of coffee is no problem. $5 for a mochaccino, no problem. It was interesting, right? They, they don't really want to drive fancy cars. They're not even so much in the housing as a, as a group. But boy, oh boy, they like to spend on coffee. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a, you know, it, it's, a, it's a great beverage. If you spend a few pennies more, you can get a really good cup of coffee. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, and, and we're seeing it, right? The, the advent of the specialty coffee business that's really mm -hmm. starting to grow in our country, right? Certified coffees, which we can get to a little bit more in, in another segment. Uh, and then uh, the cold brew. I think that is yes. that driven by the millennials as well? That's totally by the millennials. And it's just it's exploding. And there's that one coffee company that I know of that's not involved in cold brew. And even though it's... If you start now, and you might be a little late to the market, there's a market space for you. So, Dan, this okay. segment is about the decision-making process. Everybody has their own process for making decisions. Mm -hmm. Obviously, uh, after 27 years in the coffee business, I'm sure you have a process you go through, and it's probably secondhand at this point. But I'd like you to maybe focus on some of those pivotal decisions you might have made at Ruthbus as the company was growing, maybe moves you made, and what you go through to make that decision. What is that decision-making process for you? Okay. Well, in coffee, all origins, there's different values for coffee. So we're always 
gauging one origin or, or one country against another, what has better value to the end consumer? So price is very important. So if, say, a Peru coffee is cheaper than Ecuadorian coffee, we know that the brew is more accepted into roasted bland, so we'll, we'll, we'll do an arbitrage between the two. But the major decisions that we've had at, at Rothfuss Corporation is, is dealing with the speculators that enter the marketplace. They turn on their machines at 8 o'clock in the morning, and they trade. They could have thousands of lots as a speculation move. We're not speculators. We buy coffee from a farmer, and we sell it to a roast. But we have to take the risk away from the farmer, take the risk away from our the roaster to make sure we deliver coffee to consumer at his price point. So our biggest challenge is always these speculators that come into the market. And we could we could put on option strategies to protect our our producers and our roasters from the market volatility. Like today, for instance, the market's up three or four or five cents. Why? It's a macro move. All of a sudden, the dollar is cheap, and the currencies are moving. Brazil real is is expensive. It brings in commodity buyers. So we have to be. We're not only are we coffee traders, we're currency traders and watching macro events. And I think that's the greatest part of the marketing trading that we've brought into our trade desk, is understanding the macros rather than just supply and demand of coffee. Wow, so things are, some things are related to other things and you've got to make sure you're trading uh, with a full-blown strategy. So how, right. how many trades are you guys making a day? We would, we could make a five or 600 trades a day. <laughs> that's and incredible. That's just, that's just to break even, just to balance ourselves. When we buy coffee from Origin, we have to sell a futures lot against it so we're flat on the day. And we're constant, when we sell coffee, we have to buy a futures lot. So we're constantly buying and selling, buying and selling all day long. You know, it's incredible. And I guess another word for that is, uh, is hedging, right? Yes. Yes. <clears throat> okay, so that's a that's a component that a lot of business owners they don't have to worry about that, right? They have a widget. The widget has a price. There's not that's much it. movement, and they just go. But you have to hedge all day long with your team. All day long. Uh, and remember, the the market for coffee opens at four fifteen in the morning, and closes at one thirty. So we're staring at a screen from four fifteen in the morning to one thirty. Well, it's, we're lucky that you're awake right now, then. <laughs> okay, Dan. So I know um, this is probably near and dear to your heart, but you know, we we're still on this topic of buyer bail decisions. But some time ago, you, uh, you looked at an opportunity with a brand called uh, Military Java Group, I think it is. Yes. And you had to make a decision whether you know, getting into some cause, uh, coffee with a cause made sense for your company. Uh, and That's I know right. where you ended up on that, but tell us what made, went in making that decision and then tell us, uh, you know, why you said yes and tell us a little bit about Military Java Group. Okay, we'll do. First of all, it was a very close friend of mine that started the, the, the company. Uh, he was in coffee for 20 years, retired, uh, financially well off. But he wanted to do something for the military. He came from a military family. His father was a Marine, and he always felt very close to the military. We got invited to a, a dinner party from fellow Marines, and there were some Marines there back from Afghanistan with their legs missing, their arms missing. And we said, wow, what do we do for these guys? So the, 
what happens is we decided to go in this one direction to give coffee for a cause, which is a Semper Fi fund. If you have a son or a daughter that gets hurt and loses an arm, loses a leg in Afghanistan, they come back to the States. Walter Reed, the hospital is great. They take care of their physical needs. But what about the kid that's 21 years old that his wife in Seattle? Who's going to pay for that wife to come and stay with him by his bedside for six months or his children? So the Simplify reaches out, they call it, and they, the ladies in red, and we take care of the families of the wounded soldiers. And when I go to these benefits and these cocktail parties, whether they, their faces are just beaming there. You just you can't believe how appreciative they are of this. You know, Dan, I'm really proud of you. And, I, and uh, it's something that I know the millennials. It's interesting that the millennials have really helped the coffee business uh, so much. And the reason why I bring them back up again is as a percentage of income. I don't know if you're aware of this, but millennials give more as a percentage of income to charity than any other group on our planet. Did you know that? I didn't know, but it doesn't surprise me because they have a real different mindset. I always make a joke that I, I moved to Hoboken, which is some all capital of millennia. I'm the oldest person in Hoboken, by. And they're very appreciative of things. They're very, they're very, you meet them on the street. They can't do enough for you. Yeah, it's really true. And, and I'm assuming you're, you're, uh, this friend of yours, is it Matthew Phillips, the CEO? Matthew of Phillips, yes. Okay. So I got a, forwarded an email from him, and there's a quote at the bottom of his email, and it really kind of touched me. It's actually a Benjamin Franklin quote, and it said, yes. democracy is two wolves and a lamb voting on what to have for lunch. Liberty is a well-armed lamb contesting the vote. Yeah, it says it all, right? <laughs> That is so, so powerful. And, uh, yes. you know, I, I, what, why not promote this coffee a little bit on this show? We're going to make sure we have their website information. But I love the names of the coffee, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yes. It's what, Jarhead Java? Yeah, Jarhead slang for Marine. And uh, they love the coffee. We're at the, we're at the Navy uh, bases. And uh, we rolled out to the uh, Army. And then they have Bravo Zulu Java. Yes. The Air Force. And then Stars and Stripes Java. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a little military family. Uh, we're doing great uh, museums. You go on you go, uh, any museum that's Army, it's there. And we're in all the PXs of all the military bases. Now, is this coffee available for, for the a consumer like uh, you and I, or is it only yeah. in the military? No, it's, uh, you can get it online. So and they that's have where a, our biggest sales are. Yes. Okay. So they do have a dot com site that you can buy that's this right. coffee, and if you do, I think it's what fifty percent of the profits. Fifty percent of the profits goes back to the Simplify Fund. That's awesome. Do you have any idea yeah. what type of volume they're moving, or not really? Uh, we it's still. I wouldn't say that we're a startup. We're three years, but we're we're probably doing about five or ten thousand bags of coffee a year, which would put us a small a small roaster. Right, right. Well, still, that's amazing. And uh, is there different qualities in the different brands of co types yes, of coffee? Yes, there is. It's a great question. The Marines, you got to love the variety. They wanted something really hard, really wake you up, really gutsy. So, so they, we burn their coffee a little bit more so they can wake up in the morning. But it's a pretty much of a combination of very good Arabica coffee uh, and mostly Colombian coffee. 
Well, it's near and dear to our heart. I think you know our company. We also have a brand called Longevity Be the Change Coffee. And we do, uh, it's, it's not only military focused, but a lot of first responders. We give profits from the sales of coffee. And I'd like to see more people in this wonderful, given the size of the coffee business, the impact you know we could have. And not only that, obviously, it helps people at Origin and the whole nine. So we'll get into sustainability uh, at a later segment. Dan, this wraps up this, this segment. I'm thrilled we got to talk about military. Military Java Group and what they're doing and the fine work and your involvement in that. So uh, can you join me for the next segment? Sure. Okay, we'll Love be to. back with Dan Dwyer. This concludes this segment of Brisk Buyer Bail, and we'll be back in a moment.